0: To men monopolizing the word mansplaining? Well, we are here to provide relief from the drone of men explaining what it's like to be a proper lady, and instead, we are here to explain to them what it's like to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of hypermasculinity through popular culture. I'm your host, Brittany Walker, and today we have Julie Slipsky. Thank you so much for joining me. Can we start by what's your favorite action film? Like
1: my, my film. favorite action yeah. film? Uh probably Van Helfing. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Kate Beckinsale is just a total babe, just total BA, like. Uh, and they just have like such crisp one-liners that it just really gets to me.
0: Um, and this was your first time watching the movie that we're talking about today, which is Demolition Man. <laughs> first impressions since you've just finished watching? I don't know how to say the word eye roll without... Yeah, know. because like if you did the eye roll, like obviously none of our audience would be able to see it because this mm-hmm. is a podcast. Yes. Okay. Um, so Demolition Man uh, came out in 1993. So if you have watched any of our previous... If you have listened to, because we're a podcast and you <laughs> listen to podcasts, you don't watch them. Fun fact, this is your podcast 101 you listen to them it came out kind of near um terminator 2 and we're going to get to talking about the similarities here because there are a bunch my favorite fact about this is that it was directed by marco brambilla and he's the same guy that did kanye west um power uh the music video for that so in addition demolition man uh a movie in which Loves to say the title over and over again. We actually played a drinking game where we drank every single time um, they said the title. We had to go through two beers. We did have to go through two beers. <laughs> um, also has uh, made, it was very successful, which is really interesting considering it came off of Stallone's uh, big flops over the top, Cobra and Rambo 3. Um, he was getting kind of old at this point. Um to reference another one of the action movies talked about, he was getting too old for that shit. Get it?
1: I don't think I ever saw that film, but... Lethal he, Weapon? Oh, no, I've never actually seen any of the weapons. Um, but just to talk about how old Stallone is, he actually looked really fresh-faced in this movie mm-hmm. as compared to The Expendables, where he just looks like a Riley, like a wrinkle like pile of man.
0: Yeah. Um, another fun fact about this movie is that we had to have the subtitles on. Because we could actually understand what Stallone was saying, which is, like, pretty on brand for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie, can you go ahead and do your Stallone impression? I don't think that I have one. <laughs> 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 I th- do- <laughs> that Yeah, I think that sounds like cranky old man Stallone. I love it. Um, it... Also, Demolition Man was a Super NES game. Um, it came out uh, with a pinball machine in 1994. I'm getting kind of into pinball, guys. So that it, it was one of the reasons why I decided to do this movie is because at our local pinball bar, <laughs> it has um, the pinball machine. And one of the things um, that I think is really interesting is how this movie mocks both The present as well as the future. Mm -hmm. So, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Julie? Um, I was impressed that they have
1: self-driving cars in 2032. I'm really excited for that part of the future. Um, They are all battery-powered, which as an environmental science major, it just, like, makes me cream my pants, really. Okay. Um, You know, just the whole bummer part of it was that, like, anything good for you, like, anything bad for you was, like, illegal. So...
0: Yeah, Kay and I spoke about that when we were talking um, about another movie about how my mortal fear is that Taco Bell will become just a place where you eat pills and not gross nacho fries. I actually have nightmares sometimes thinking about it.
1: I can definitely see why you'd feel that way. I fell in love with my wife over Taco Bell, so...
0: Oh, please tell that story. Um... Is it appropriate to say banging? I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, we are, we do not broadcast this to children.
1: Okay. That's good. Um, so we had just finished banging and it was like 10 o'clock at night. We, were you
0: like a Tinder date?
1: Um, well, we met on OkCupid and we were both very cautious lesbians. So we were not ready to like, what do they call it? U-hauling? oh yeah I think there's a very big stereotype that lesbians just like collectively gather their lives and just you know go for it Mm -hmm. Um, we were very cautious about falling in love so I think we it was like nine o'clock ten o'clock at night we had plans to go to oodles and uh, we get there and they are closed and I was just we were in the car and I was like how do you feel about Taco Bell and she was just like I really like that so we fell in love over a Crunchwrap.
0: Oh, that's the most romantic story
1: I've ever heard. I would not be opposed to be, you know, getting married in a Taco Bell. Oh my god! So, gosh. who would you have marry you? I mean, if Ellen was free, that'd be game. You know? Yeah,
0: that'd be super gay. Like that's the gayest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Is like Ellen marrying two ladies in a Taco Bell, <laughs> and then in, would you have? Okay, let's workshop this because see- I like this idea. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your wedding cake. Yeah. I would say, like the seven layer like crunch wraps, okay, like a cake form, and then you would cut in to it and smush it in her face.
1: I like the idea, but I feel like the crunch part of the crunch wrap would, you know, injure someone like practically like cut you. yeah, I've cut the roof of my mouth on a crunch wrap. It's just, you know, practically, it's not a good idea, but I love the idea of it.
0: Um I also love the idea of Wesley Snipes being able to effectively cut out the eyeball of someone without any sort of tactical training. Um
1: as a person who watched, as Meredith says, the Blood and Guts channel growing up. What is that? Um it's like it's like an ER channel. So like my mom is a nurse and she was an ER nurse for a long time. So while we were eating our spaghetti we would watch I guess it's stories of the of the ER. Huh. So it's like people coming in for trauma, like a dude with, like, a pipe stuck through his belly, like, blood and guts everywhere. And I'm just, like, I guess my mom's proudest moment when my sister and I were young, we were like, oh, man, he's going to, they're going to have to put a thing in his, his, his to make his lungs inflate. Like, yeah, he's going to get, what is it, incubus? I don't know. I'm not I don't know, I'm, I'm not just rolling with
0: it. I like this story. Keep going.
1: Um... What we're we talking about, blood. Oh, yeah. So, like, I mean, I'm no, no optrician, but like, th- there's a lot of muscles going on there. And, you know, I've, not to be gross, but I've cut out the eyes on some fish when I went fishing just to see what it looked like. And it's. Wait, hold on. Is this too much? No. I wanted to see if eyeballs were an effective bait. Um, what do they call it when you ruin a
0: plot? <laughs> Hang on. Okay, so let's imagine this <laughs> scenario. You're sitting at the side of a river. No, I'm on a pier on the ocean. You're on a pier on the ocean. Correct. Okay, cool. Cool. You just caught a fish. Is this a big fish <laughs> or small fish? Um, I mean, about the
1: size of a football, I guess. A football not, fish.
0: Yeah. Um, my father and likes. You take your pocket knife.
1: No, it's it's an actual filleting knife. Um, my father likes to saltwater fish. He loves catching sharks. So um I think I was maybe thirteen at the time. So he I would have to cut up this fish so he could use it as bait to catch sharks. Um I'm this also is so
0: interesting. An entirely different world than Missouri. My father
1: says I'm a filleting prodigy, so <laughs> I don't wanna scare you with how awesome
0: I am. Oh, no, I'm doing a podcast with a psycho. In a good in a good a good psycho like I don't know, like Dexter. I don't know. I don't know how to even make this transition. So we're just going to go right into it. Does that sound good? I'm fine with that. Okay, beautiful. So one of the things that I found was really interesting um, that kind of paralleled to um, RoboCop and to Terminator 2 is in the early 90s slash late 80s, there was this huge anxiety about technology and where technology was going to go. Um, And you can see those threads within this movie as well. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to say about that, Julie? <laughs> about technology <laughs> and how
1: it's shown within the movie? I mean, it seems to be utilized in the fashion that we utilize it today, like how they present the future.
0: Yeah. So they they present the future in this movie as, I guess I should do my summary first. All right. So we have St- Sylvester Stallone. And his name is, they say it like a billion times, John Spartan. John Spartan. Or Sparta. Is it Sparta? John's I don't know. I think it's Spartan. No one fact-checks like, no fact podcast. I want to say it's Spartan because it's trying to be like he's a Spartan soldier. Like uh, he's hardcore. So we have John Spartan and we have Wesley Snipes as Phoenix. Um, and they're both pretty bad at what they do. Well, actually, Wesley Snipes is really good at what he does. He does. He just gets caught up in the moment. Yeah. And they freeze them both. Um, for jail time, because in 1996, we actually just started freezing people. Mm -hmm. And then they come back, and Wesley Snipes is unthawed to, like, kill the head of this— They call them scraps? Yeah.
1: The people who enjoy everything that's bad for you? Yeah. So they didn't want to give up alcohol, you know, meat, all that good stuff. They eat rat burgers. Yep. Uh,
0: They um, trade fluids, I imagine. Yes. Um, Also, you're not allowed to have sex.
1: In the future, so deal with that.
0: Yeah, and in 2032, you're no longer allowed to have sex. There's this really awkward scene where Sandra Bullock and Sylvester Stallone and, like, Sandra Bullock is, like, so much like me at this point because she's, like, awkwardly being like, uh, I was wondering if maybe, I don't know, like, do you want to do it? Like, that's definitely, like, my proposal every time and, like, I'm a 16-year-old and don't Mm -hmm. know how to communicate. She then, like, lays, like, not lays down, but, like, sits down and puts this, like, technological thing on. Um, it's like a VR headset without yes. the part with the VR. Yeah. And they have mind sex, mm-hmm. um, which seems pretty boring to me. But Sylvester Stallone seemed, like, kind of into it.
1: He was optimistic that it would be nice.
0: Yes. Basically, Sylvester Stallone comes back and kicks ass, mm-hmm. and everyone lives happily ever after at the end. That's That seems to sum it up, Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, a little bit about the new world um, in which they mock. Pizza Hut is a fine dining establishment.
1: I mean, I already considered it a fine dining establishment, so...
0: Did your Pizza Hut, did your local Pizza Hut have, like, a karaoke night?
1: I never actually stepped foot in a Pizza Hut. I've never been willing to actually go to the restaurant. Really? hmm I've always just, like, I want stuffed crust and I want it now. I'm not about to, like, put on real pants to go to a restaurant. Um, so I grew up in Saks, Missouri and I, it, I heard I was listening to some other podcasts.
0: Yeah. And there Pizza Hut was like a big deal and they had karaoke nights mm-hmm. and they had like a play thing for kids. Oh, yeah. Well, that's I, fancy. I know. And it was similar to that regard Um, here, except you didn't drink champagne and you wore very fabulous dresses. The future is, has nothing fun about it. And I think this could possibly commentary on Bill Clinton at the time when they were kind of doing these, like, safety restrictions and, like, they were going to this thing where it's like, oh, the new generations are full of softies who, like, you know, the same kind of rhetoric Mm -hmm. that's happening now. Um, So kind of mocking that. Um, Another thing that is very similar to our other movies is how really gay a lot of the fighting scenes are. And... I have a specific quote um, from a book called "Millennial Masculinity: Men in Contemporary American Cinema," and it was describing that last scene, which has a lot of phallic imagery, like the spear that he like wants to protrude into the body of Sylvester Stallone, and like how he basically um, castorizes him by like cutting off his head and whatnot. And this is a quote: "It says, indeed, we find overtly sexual contact." only in a few of women's climaxes and none of the men's. Uh, For example, the titular serial killer Hannibal dreams of intimacy with a hero and speaks to her of love during that climactic fight, and he forces a kiss. But in contrast, violence aimed at men is less overtly sexual, but suspiciously dirty instead. And yes, they mean that kind of dirty. So what do you think about that? Did you find these scenes like, Do I find them sexual? yes.
1: I wouldn't necessarily say sexual. There was just a lot more kicking than I was used to. I guess maybe to show off like the sheer manliness of said person, but I didn't find them very sexual. It just seemed
0: like very macho. Is that kind of sexual? I mean, I think, you know, when you're reaching these climaxes in the plot line and the way that this climax is released is through these two men grappling each other and wrestling each other and putting their hands all over each other. Well,
1: you know, that kind of makes sense now because they can't actually physically do it with other people.
0: Exactly. S- so
1: why not get, you know, your physicalness on with another dude and then
0: kill him? Yeah. I mean, and killing them is kind of like symbolic, I guess, for a climax. Like, especially considering this one, um, this guy in this book makes the argument that him cutting off his head is kind of castorizing him in, like, the only way that he can um, for TV, Um, which I really, really like that. This portion is kind of revealing this new age of masculinity where it's less, like, very macho Rambo-esque and more of, like, a sensitive man Mm -hmm. um, in showing those complexities. And they even, like, (laughs) say it pretty overtly when it said, um, this is how insecure homosexual uh, heterosexual males used to bond when they were like cussing at each other and stuff. And in addition, Sandra Bullocks goes, I took you as a he man type, but now I see that you are, you know, a gunslinger who just is really hesitant to pull out his gun, you know, mm-hmm. and showing like how we view these like hyper masculine males in movies and how much more complex that was getting than just like brutal violence killing machine um yeah another thing um can we talk a little bit about uh the word barbaric and how it is used in this movie
1: i would love to um it just kind of seems like they brought their own little pocket-sized thesaurus and looked up each word because it didn't seem like they're using the same word in every other sentence which i really did appreciate
0: right so Everyone from, like, the past was kind of seen as, like, barbaric and, like, cavemen and Neanderthals, all of which were words that were used um, because they always, like, took to this violence mm-hmm. as, like, a solution for things. What I thought was interesting is, like, Stallone in this movie. He seemed more it, intelligent. He, <laughs> and, you know, compared to his other movies. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely seemed more intelligent compared to the other movies. And also, the whole movie, the premise is that he is from the past and he is out of place. And the same is true for, like, the actual movie. Like, it's very meta for that, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, as I said, he came off of Overtop, Cobra, and Rambo. Right, which had these like old school views of masculinity, where it's like you are tough, you are hyper masculine, etc. Right, mm-hmm. and because this rhetoric was shifting at this time, those movies were bombing because that's not what they wanted to see for masculinity. What they wanted to see is they wanted to see like the husband who saved his wife, like in Die Hard. They wanted to see badass guys who had a soft spot yes exactly um and they tried to kind of represent that in this movie but I don't think it went over well and I think it's just because Stallone himself is actually a product of the past Mm -hmm. in this changing rhetoric of what it means to be a man
1: I mean I really feel like they could have gone more into depth about his he had a wife and a child and they were just like yeah your wife's dead and he's like okay that's cool I guess and then he's like well wait what about my child And they're like, well, she's probably dead, too. And he just kind of, like, dropped everything. He's like, whatever, I got Sandra Bullock.
0: Yeah, like, this movie definitely had a chance to, like, dive deep and represent that complex masculinity. But it chose to kind of fall into, like, the old stereotype that was bombing at the time and continues to bomb now. Um, It's why, like, Expendables 2 wasn't, like, a huge hit. And it's because, like... Yeah.
1: Did you read that article about... Was there like a third or fourth one coming on? Um, I don't doubt it. So, you know, Terry Crews is being like blackmailed because of that whole debacle where that one dude tried to grope him? No. Yeah. He's essentially being blackmailed into not being in
0: the latest expendables, I guess. Huh. Interesting. Well, I don't really like Terry Crews anyway, so... Oh, my goodness. He's such a cutie pie. (laughs) Um... So going back to kind of like masculinity, Roadhouse and over the top tried <laughs> to provide this complex version of masculinity. And if you over if you heard those episodes, you know that like it did not go well. And I know the basis of this podcast is when men watch these movies, are they getting their idea of what mas- what it means to be masculine from these depictions of masculinity? And there is some evidence that that proves that. And I was interested if, like, the actors themselves expect that, too. Um, So within Detecting Men, Masculinity, and Hollywood Detective Films, they asked Schwarzenegger, and they said, do you think we've come to judge manliness by the standards that you've set in the movies? And I'm going to go ahead and let you read that quote.
1: This little blurb right here? Yeah. I hope not, because they are just characters, and they are larger-than-life characters. You're not necessarily a real man because you can beat up an alien or a bad guy. I'd like to think that I have contributed to the reemergence of the hero or the heroic character. But it takes more than just being overly masculine. A real man is someone who cares for his family and provides for them, shows love for his wife and kids, and someone who tries to make the world a better place to live. I also feel that way, uh, because I am a real man. I used to want to be like John Wayne or Gary Cooper when I was a kid. But as I grew older, my idol or the biggest influence in my life was my father. I think people are smart enough to know the difference between movie characters and real men. At least, I hope so.
0: So do you think that's true? Do you think that people are smart enough to know the difference? I mean,
1: personally, I am. So I don't, I can't really speak for everybody else. But, you know, there were people doing that stupid shit from Jackass, so... Yeah, and
0: like... I think the way that we absorb media, Mm -hmm. we see what is acceptable to society and what is not. Um, And I think part of that has to do with this idea that we have that gender is binary and that because gender is binary, like this is what a woman acts like and this is what a man acts like. Um, And as I keep reviewing these films, I keep going back to my dad and being like, that's why he acts that way. Like he got this from this movie and you know, I love my dad dearly, but I would not say that he is cognizant. Actually, I know he's not cognizant of the impact that media has on how he views masculinity. He just views it a certain way, and I think it's a result of him watching movies. Makes sense. I feel the same way about my father.
1: Yeah. Any closing remarks? I think that my favorite quote was from, I always mess up his name, (sighs) Rob Schneider. Okay. Okay. It's quite hilarious. We're police officers. We aren't trained for this kind of violence.
0: Which is ironic considering what we're dealing with right now with police brutality. I would love to see a future in which police don't have guns and that they're trained to handle people in a civil way. That would be a great, great future. And if there's one thing that I hope remains in the future of the world that is Demolition Man, it is the interactions between police and mm-hmm. I like, did you see their little device? It kind of looked like a gun sideways mm-hmm. and then it had a little screen on it. And then he was like, what do I do with X? And they're like, treat them like they're human basically. And like, that's nice. Maybe they need to be reminded a little bit of that. Treat them, treat people like they're human. I don't know. Just try it out. Closing notes. I wrote them down this time. So thanks to Kenny, Kenny, Oh, Oh, for our theme song, Add 60 Seconds to the Bechdel Test. Um, you can find their music at KennyKennyOO.Bandcamp.com uh, You can access all of our old episodes at MansplainingPodcast.com And lastly, do not forget to do social media things like, like our Mansplaining Podcast on the Facebook. We also have Twitter, I think, and also Instagram. But I haven't updated that in like two years. So, do all the social media things. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: You're very welcome. I hope to be invited back. I know that I'm not much of a commentator, but I'll try my best next time.
0: (laughs) You did a good job. I appreciate having you.